Hey, good morning. My name is Chris. I get to serve as the pastor here at Second Baptist Church. So glad that you are here. If you're a guest, thanks for being here. I uh, would love to connect with you. We can do that in one of a couple ways, whether in person or online. Uh, here in person, there's a card in the few back in front of you. If you'd fill that out, and at the end of service, you can either leave that just laying in the seat in the pew there beside you, or you can leave it in one of the offering plates as we leave today. Um, the other option that you have is you can go to our website, sbcr.org, and there's a button that says, I'm new. You can fill that button out and uh, connect with us that way. That way we know who's worshiping with us today and, and so grateful that you are here. And so there's a few things happening uh, uh, today and, and in the weeks ahead I want to make you aware of. First of all, uh, the little video that you saw um, just a moment ago, I'm beginning to do some evangelism training every Sunday night beginning uh, tonight for the next several weeks. It's six trainings. Uh, it's called Three Circles is the tool that, that um, we'll be training in. And here's what I'll say. I know many of you uh, have been trained in evangelism and a lot of different things. And maybe you're aware of Three Circles, maybe you're not. Um, in terms of evangelism training and learning how to share our faith, I view uh, evangelism and this kind of thing as, as going fishing, right? Uh, when you go fishing, you don't take one bait, you don't take one hook, or, or if you do, um, your trip doesn't last very long usually, right? Um, you, you take all kinds of different baits, all kinds of different lures, all that sort of thing. And so really what this is, we just want to put another hook in your tackle box, another tool in your tool belt to be able to use to share your faith. One of the things that Three Circles uh, really tries to do is to help us learn how to take everyday conversations and turn them into gospel conversations. And so uh, we will have that training uh, down, uh, it'd be 5 to 6 o'clock tonight. It'll be at the other end of our building here in our fellowship hall. And so here's the thing, please uh, make this a priority. I think this will be a real blessing to you. Um, I, I, I believe our children can learn it. It's pretty simple, it's easy uh, to learn. And so we'll go through some times learning it, and just practicing, all that kind of thing. Uh, so really want to encourage you the next several weeks to make plans, come back from 5 to 6. Um, the days are getting longer, so our, our uh, daytime hours and all that kind of thing, making it easier uh, to be able to be here. So I really, really want to encourage you to come. I would love to have 40, 50, 60 of our people uh, go through this training, uh, go through this time together. Uh, I think it'll really be a blessing to you. So tonight... Uh, five to six, we begin our evangelism training. And for whatever reason, if you can't come tonight, uh, don't skip out on the rest of it just because you can't be here tonight. Uh, make plans to be with us as much as you can. I, I think you'll be able to learn and grow from it. Uh, hey, next Sunday, we're looking forward to, you, you know we have a pattern of doing these, but we're having another Tech Sunday uh, where we are inviting different groups and any college student who'd love to come be a part, but especially going after some specific groups, inviting them in, coming to be a part. Uh, as a part of that, we're going to have a fellowship meal afterwards. And so uh, what we want to do for, this, uh, for next Sunday is provide an Italian-themed meal. Um, especially, uh, obviously, college students eat a lot in the cafeteria. They eat a lot of pizza, hot dogs, and hamburgers. And so we're just trying to change it up a little bit and give them more of a home-cooked type meal. And so there is a sign-up sheet floating around. Uh, uh, last I saw it was over at the Ministry Opportunities desk. It maybe has made its way out here front, but it'll be one of those two locations. Uh, before you leave today, if you make sure and sign up 
to offer to bring a dish. The church is going to provide salad and bread. Uh, but if you make plans to be able to bring something, uh, that would be greatly appreciated uh, to be a part of that. Another thing I want to make you aware of is Brother Ronnie Tullis is coming to preach a revival meeting for us beginning April 2nd. He's going to preach uh, April 2nd to April 5th, and we'll have a revival meeting and really looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to do some things as a part of our evangelism training, and then also on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about this, praying for this, and I'll, I'll speak a little bit to that even as part of my message today. Um, uh, be aware, there, there's always great information that's a, in our bulletin uh, that, that you can take note of and be a, pay attention to certain dates and things that are coming up, so I'll let you notice or take note of the rest of those items. Um, just part of my reading this morning, I read this, I know last week we, we talked about that uh, as the people of God, in, in chapter 12 of Nehemiah, as the people of God worship the Lord, the Bible said this, do you remember this? Uh, that God had made them glad. God had made them rejoice. And we tried to intentionally incorporate a part of that worship, our worship uh, at the end of our service last week where we had an intentional time of focusing and singing, whether we felt like it or didn't feel like it. Um, and I just want to continue that this morning. I know it maybe has been a busy week, and maybe it's been a good week, maybe it's been a tough week, uh, maybe you're tired, maybe you're energetic, whatever the case may be this morning. As I was reading this morning, this is what I read uh, in Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Sir, um, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of waters. What it may be that you're in a position, man, I, Pastor Chris, I, I don't have much to give. Friend, I can tell you this. You can give glory and honor to the Lord today. Uh, if you'll sing and worship Him, sing truth to Him, and think about all the goodness God has given and extended to us. I realize it maybe has been a tough week, and, and we go through a lot of hard and difficult seasons, uh, but friend, I would tell you this morning is that um, there are brothers and sisters that are hiding in a basement and hiding underground, wanting to worship the Lord, desiring to worship the Lord, longing that they may have a chance just like this to stand with other believers and sing unto the Lord. Let, let's give glory to the one who made us. Give glory to the one that woke us up today and give glory to the one that gives us life and breath and all things. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good, and there's none like you. And God, I pray that we would glorify you in your house today. God, that we would not allow the rocks to cry out on our behalf. Um, but God, that we would sing unto you, that you be glorified. I pray you bless the preaching of your word. Be with our, our service today. God, I pray be all about you, and that you, Spirit of God, would fall on this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing, This is my Father's world. This is my 
you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. And we are almost there. We are, our journey through Nehemiah is quickly coming to a close. Do you remember your first vehicle? Um, for me, <clears throat> now some of you young folks in the room, I'm not that old, okay, but my first one uh, was a 1978 Ford F100. Um, step side, uh, Rust everywhere, weighed about 4,000 pounds. Um, it was a single cab pickup. Um, it, it had a 400 big block. Any home improvement fans? I feel like I ought to do the Tim Allen thing, right? Um, it would not, would not spin a tire. It had no get up and go initially, but unfortunately out the back end it ran too fast and I know too much about that. But what was fascinating about this thing, and of course, you know, then I didn't realize this. All I knew is the <clears throat> first vehicle had 400,000 miles on it. And, and uh, by the time I was done with it, I think it ran on about three and a half cylinders. I took it to a guy to tune it up, you know, this V8. And he called me, he said, hey, I got good news. I said, what's that? He said, I didn't have to use eight spark plugs. I said, no. He said, it's only working three and a half cylinders. So we didn't put the other four in it. So I was like, well, hallelujah. All right. So I <clears throat> uh, ran that thing into the ground and sold it for all the 450 bucks when I got done with it. So um, nonetheless, right, it, there was what was fascinating about this pickup was a lot of things that had Tasmanian form, floor mats. I mean, it was sharp, right? Um, I had to put these little speakers behind the seat because it was so loud that you couldn't hear the radio, right? And, it, you know, it had the turnstile. Uh, tape deck, and I know some of you, you've got stories of A-tracks and all that kind of thing, but anyway, this is my story, not yours, okay? So, um, and, but this steering wheel, right, it was, it was bigger than life, right? I mean, it would swallow the steering wheels today, but you'd be going down the road, and some of you know this well, man, you, it was like you did like this, and it never moved, right? You know, because it was so much play and slack and the steering and all that kind of thing, and, and, um, but, you know, just going down the road, loved it, and, and I'd buy it back today if I could. But um, nonetheless, one of the things that just thinking about that and, and thinking about all the vehicles through, that I've had throughout my lifetime, um, a lot of times after you have vehicles, especially the more miles they get them on, that kind of thing, uh, what happens over time is the vehicle gets a little bit out of alignment, Right. Um, and so now to drive straight line down the highway, uh, add a little bit of a tilt. Or you're, you're fighting it a little bit, right? It's got that constant pull. It's pulling one way or the other, and it, you, you've got to get. So then, you know, new tires or tires rotated and, and alignment. And, when, you know, when they alignment and when they align the vehicle, they put that steering wheel, they lock it where it is dead center. Then they line those wheels up, and every now and then they'll have it where it has a touch of a pull to the, to the right, right? Because it pulling towards the white rather than the yellow into oncoming traffic. But I had a friend of mine who had a buddy in um, East Tennessee that was just going through this mechanic school, right? And they were working on aligning vehicles. And so uh, he asked my buddy, Max, said, hey, can I align your pickup? Had a little Ford Ranger or something. He said, yeah, sure. And so he took him and let him align it. 
And so uh, his buddy had forgot to lock the steering wheel, okay? And so when my buddy went to pick up his vehicle, he got in the vehicle, backed it out, and it turned really great to the right because apparently the steering wheel was gone the other way. So when he pulled out, he turned really easy. But it had really spun during the alignment, so then he didn't have much room to turn left. He said, man, you couldn't turn that thing around in a 40-acre field, right? Because the alignment was totally off. He had to take it to somebody else, get it corrected. And so why do we start with that? Why am I telling you about my first pickup? Well, today I want to preach to you a message about realignment. See, in the book of Nehemiah, the people of God have been in exile. They come back. You've heard this several times. They come back. God raises up Nehemiah, go back, rebuild the wall. They rebuild the wall. Then they bring out the book of the wall, the Torah, and they read this. And suddenly a light bulb goes off and goes, hey, we've not been living the way that God wants us to live, and we are going to correct some things. And they celebrate the festival booths and, and, and just go through these things. Then they have this significant time of repentance, and they're repenting about all the things that they've done wrong. And then they have this further moment of going, we're going to get this right. And you remember we talked about this. They made a covenant back to the covenant that God had made with them. What they do, they say, man, we're, we're making a covenant that we're going to live in a way that honors God. And they walk through some different things, how they're going to worship, how they're going to restore the temple, how they're going to give unto the Lord, all of these things. They're going to separate themselves from those that they shouldn't be married to and these idol worshipers and all these kinds of things, right? And they made this specific covenant. People signed on the dotted line. They celebrated all those kinds of things. They even have this incredible ceremony we looked at recently of, uh, of dedicating the wall and restoring the worship in the temple. Well, somewhere between chapter 12 and chapter 13, some time has passed. We don't know how long, but Nehemiah went back to his original position serving the king. And he has been gone from Jerusalem. He's been gone for a few days and, and likely longer than that. We don't know exactly how long. But we're going to pick up in our text in just a moment and read chapter 13 beginning in verse 1 on down to verse 14. And what we're going to see is that somewhere along the way there was some play in the steering wheel and somewhere along the way it began to turn into the ditch. And what Nehemiah is coming back to do, he's coming back to get the truck up on the rack, set the steering wheel, and realign the vehicle so that they may serve the Lord in a way that honors and pleases Him. We all need some realignment. So we're going to talk this morning about realignment. So if you found your place, and I hope that you had, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God if you're able Nehemiah 13, verse 1. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. But they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they heard the law that they all separated themselves, uh, separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now before this, Elisha the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with Tobiah. 
And, all, and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Israelites and singers and gatekeepers and offerings of the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after the certain days, I had obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to clean the, cleanse the rooms, and I brought them back into the articles of the, house, uh, the house of God with the grain offering, the frankincense. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work, God, uh, work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed a treasurer over the storehouse, Shalemiah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and, the, and of the Levites, Padiah, and next to the them was Hanan and the son of Zechur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to the brethren, Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Let me pray. Precious Jesus, we love and adore you. We thank you for your goodness and grace. I pray, God in heaven, that you'd speak to us through your word. Give me every word to say, nothing more. Nothing less. Fill me with your spirit. God, I pray that you would redeem the lost today. I pray you would restore the backsliders. And God, encourage the saints of God this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the main idea of our text is this, is that we can quickly drift from the things of God. That if we're not careful... If we're not vigilant, and we don't have times where we reflect and allow the Word of God to do what only it can, we will quickly drift from the things of God and from the Word of God. And we look at our text today, we're going to be reminded of how God had been at work. God had done some incredible things. God had restored some things among them and used Nehemiah and used Ezra in an incredible way. And the people of God said, hey, we hear you, and we sign our name on the dotted line. And they get back to doing some things the right way. But it doesn't take very long until they get out of alignment and they're on a drift. They're drifting away from the Lord. They've gotten away from the very things a few chapters previously that we learn about that they said, we're going to do this. And friend, if you think that you're not susceptible to drift, if you think you're not susceptible to getting out of alignment, you're wrong. It's our nature. It's our propensity as humans and our sin nature to slowly drift and get away from the Lord and the things of God if we're not careful. And so, the question then this morning is, have you drifted? Have you drifted? Now, it's easy. It's easy, right? I, I could hear you thinking this morning as soon as you answered it, said, no, I, I haven't. Not me, preacher. No way. 
And I wonder this morning as Nehemiah would have returned and just quickly, had he asked this question to the, to the children of Israel, to the people in the city, if he'd have asked them quickly, just saying, hey, have you drifted from your covenant? Many of them likely would have said, no way. It hasn't been that long. There's no way we've gotten away from what we said we, w- we would do. But friend, it, it happened. And I wonder how many churches and how many Christians across our nation, across the world, that we look around and folks, churches are dying. There's far more churches that are on a steady decline than there are churches that are increasing and growing. There are far more churches that are losing people and shutting its doors every year. Meanwhile, the population is at an all-time boom. Not just in our nation, but across the world. And so what happened? What happened in those churches? What's what's happening in churches? And and what's the issue? The problem is, is that people have drifted. They've gotten away from their first love. How did it happen? How did things happen? How do we guard against that? How do we get realigned? Let's look at three truths from our text this morning. Number one. Realignment comes from the Word of God. Realignment comes from the Word of God. Listen to what our text says this morning, verses 1 through 3. On that day, they read from the book of Moses. There it is, mark or underline, that's the Torah. In the hearing of the people, and it is found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Let me hit pause just for a moment and underline that in your Bible. Isn't that the nature and goodness of God? That God often takes, what he's doing is, the, the text this morning, Nehemiah is reminding everybody what happened, that these individuals and the exiled in the, in, in the time of leaving Egypt and, and trying to head to the promised land, that they were not treated well by these groups of people. And God had commanded a curse over them, and while it was used as a curse, God had turned, had blessed, because they were not treated the right, right way, and God had blessed the children of Israel. And friend, can I tell you, there's something about the favor of God and the blessing of God being on His people that oftentimes the enemy comes about looking to destroy your life, looking to bring cursing in your life, but God takes and uses it for His good. Man, that is the goodness of God. That is the blessing of God, okay? That was all free. Not going to charge you a thing for that, all right? It doesn't have anything to do with my message. It's just too good of a truth to pass up, all right? So, continue on. Verse 3, so it was... When they had heard the law, they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now let me ask you this. Did they not know this? Yes, they did. They did know. Had they forgot? Had they gotten away from it? We don't know for sure, but undoubtedly, 
somehow they had drifted back to doing things the way that they had been doing them. Listen to Nehemiah 8 and 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. What happened a few chapters ago, whenever they got under conviction, where did it begin? It began with them reading the word of God. The Word of God brought about conviction. And one of the part of the conviction here is that they had intermarried with other nationalities that they were commanded not to. Again, I talked about this when I preached on a few weeks ago. It wasn't about uh, intermarrying with other nationalities. It's about that these other uh, nations were worshiping false gods. They were idol worshipers. And they're saying, look, don't marry them. Don't intermingle with them because they're worshiping a false god. And so God is giving them warning about that. And so here they are. They had gotten away from the things of God. Here they are. And what happens? They come back together and the word of God is read. And the word of God is the plumb line. The word of God is what is true. You know, the plumb line, it's, it's hung. And so that it gives that perfect verticality. That way when you go to stand a board up next to it and find out if it's perfectly level, is it perfectly vertical the way that it ought to be, the plumb line is what's true. And so the Word of God is our plumb line that as we read the Word of God, it doesn't matter what context or culture that it is read in, the Word of God is true and everything must come into a line with it, not the other way around. We live in a day and time where we're trying to do all that we can to take the Word of God and we can just lean it a little bit. It'll make our culture a little bit more relevant. It'll make our culture a little bit more comfortable. It'll make our choices a little less uncomfortable or less ungodly because if we can just bend, if we can tilt, if we can just adjust the Word of God by all means because it is old, by all means because it was written in a different day and time, by all means it's ancient and it's out of date. But friend, that's not truth and that's not reality because there is one standard for truth and it is the Word of God. And we must hold it up and every aspect of our life must come in line with the Word. This is the locking of the steering wheel when aligning the vehicle and the adjusting of the wheels as our lives go. We've got to come in true with what's, where, where this is at. Because when you get in the vehicle and the, the, the wheel wasn't locked, it's at a 30 degree angle. Now you're doing all that you can to fight that, to, get, to be able to drive in a way that is safe and, and protected other people. And listen, when you and I are constantly going through, going, yeah, but is that really what it meant? Well, culturally speaking, that was what was going on. Man, we begin to question the Word of God. We begin to make false accusations that it's just a group of men smoking a cigar in some back room decide to put this book together and it's not really true and holy. Or, you know, well, we'll maybe listen to the New Testament, but that Old Testament, I mean, after all, it's old. And we begin to adjust and try to accommodate. And friend, when we get there, we are on slippery ground. We are in ground that gets away from the Lord. We are on ground where we begin to drift. But let me say this. 
Rarely, unless something catastrophic happens, your vehicle doesn't get out of alignment like that. It's gradual. It's subtle. Until finally, one day you get in it and you go, my car's got a heavy pull to it. Something's really going on here. I've got to get it in the shop. And go, man, it, yeah. Tires got to be rotated. Need new tires. Got to fix this or whatever. We got to get you realigned. And then you get back in it and you go, man, it really was bad. And this is what happens in this moment that in a matter of a short period of time, the people of God had gotten away from the things of God and they read the word of God and suddenly there it was. We've gotten away. We've drifted. Do you remember in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3, and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law, the Torah of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day and for another fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. The Word of God does what it always does and it brought about conviction. It brought about repentance. Psalm 119 tells us this, as you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. I believe the word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I kept your word. And it's the word of God that corrects our steps. It's the word of God that is lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's the word of God that we hide in our heart that we might not sin against thee. Friend, can I tell you? And I know you've heard this a lot from me, especially the last few weeks. There's some repetitive themes that are in the book of Nehemiah that I think we need today. Friend, can I beg this of you? I pray that you have some daily consumption of the Word of God. 45-minute sermons, even if I just did nothing but the read the text, and that would make my sermons much better, but just to read the Word of God for 45 minutes once a week, you still are severely malnourished as a Christian if that's the only time you get the Bible, if it's the only time you're in the Word. You say, well, preacher, I do come to Sunday school. Well, hallelujah. If you come and the only thing you do in your um, Sunday school small group time is to read the Bible for one hour and then you come in here and we read the Bible for 45 minutes, then dear friend, uh, you're, you're severely malnourished. Even if you don't eat physically, if you don't eat for six days and on the seventh day you just gorge, you just, man, you eat thousands and thousands of calories, you're not going to be a very fit human. And dear friend, I would say the Word of God is even that much more vital than even food for your daily survival, your daily life. The Word of God is. So dear friend, I'm not telling you this morning you need to read the Bible through in a year. I'm not telling you you need to read the Bible through in six years. I'm not telling you you need to read the Bible and take you ten years to get through it. All I'm telling you is, is friend, you need the Bible every day of your life. Something. Spend time in the Word. Because it's a daily, daily plumb line of going, man, yeah, I was wrong there. Man, i got to get back right. Man, I, I've gotten away, gotten less passionate about these things. Let me get back right. Man, it, because every day, it's our propensity to get out of line with the things of God. Mamas and daddies, figure out a way 
to get the Word of God in front of your kids. Grandparents, grandmas, and granddads, get the Word of God in front of your grandkids when you can. I'm not saying browbeat them. I'm not saying have a 45-minute family altar call every night. Listen, it, that's not reality. I got kids, I know, all right? But have some time. Some sort of regular rhythm. And I realize saying every night at this time, that's not reality either. But this is what I'll say. Figure out a way to make it a priority. Figure out a way to have some sort of rhythm, one, two, three nights a week, to getting the word in front of them and being the spiritual leader in front of them that you're called to be. And so what happens here? They, got, they had drifted from the Lord. They'd gotten away from the things of God. And so what's happening, man? And they're trying to get back. There's this realignment that's taking place. So realignment begins with the Word of God. Number two, realignment corrects drifting with the enemy. Drifting with the enemy. Look at verses 4 through 9. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Now hit pause. We're going to see in a moment, Nehemiah uh, makes personal comment that he had returned back to um, our, our taxes. He had turned back to his position before he came to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. Before he left, undoubtedly, he had placed individuals in positions of leadership. Eliashib being one of them, the priest, to be over this specific area. And it says he was allied with Tobiah. In a minute, I'm going to reintroduce you to who Tobiah is. And he had prepared for him a large room, where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. So hit pause. Okay, before we are reminded of who Tobiah is, what's one thing that has happened here? Eliashib the priest says, oh, we found a room, you know, nothing important there, just some offerings for the Lord, uh, just some things to help take care of the Levites, the men of God that God has called here to serve in certain ways. We'll just get that out of the way and we'll let Tobiah have it. Notice this. Uh, verse 6, but during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of the Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I have returned to the king. Remember, he's cup area is important. He had gone back to the king. So what's he do? Then after certain days, I, Nehemiah, obtained leave for the king. So he had gone back. He was serving for some period of time, at which point he asked, hey, king, can I have some days off? I need to go back to Jerusalem and check on things. He gets back to Jerusalem. This is what happens. They read the word. Man, there's conviction. Then he starts surveying what's going on, inspecting, checking and he finds out Elishib has given a room to Tobiah to store his old car or something. Um, so then, here we are. Uh, he says, and I came to Jerusalem, Nehemiah, and discovered, look at this, the ill evil that Elishib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Okay, so hit pause, all right? Now, listen to what Nehemiah, uh, chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 6, a few snippets of who Tobiah is. Uh, Nehemiah 2.10. When Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, here he is, the Ammonite official, heard of it, what do they hear of? The rebuilding of the wall. 
they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Okay? So you remember, now you're starting to remember, Tobiah was an enemy. Okay? Look at Nehemiah 4. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So he was at first, he was against it because he doesn't want, he had had some, uh, some political and so probably some uh, uh, army power related to him involved in that and he didn't want the wall to be rebuilt. That's why in chapter 2 he's initially mad of going, man, I'm, I'm ticked off that he's come to rebuild that. We're going to lose power over the city. And now he's just being a hater saying, there's no way, whatever they're going to put together, man, a fox is going to destroy it, okay? He's just running his mouth. Nehemiah chapter 6, now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, there, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. It goes on to say they were angry and they were upset. And they tried to get him to come down. They wanted to get him down, kill him, and go after the leadership so they, they could retake the city. So now back to chapter 13. Who does Elishim take care of using the storehouse in the temple for the things of God? He cleans the things of God out and invites to buy in and goes, hey, here you go. Now remember, there was a marital relationship that had given connection to Tobiah. And so what happens? Tobiah had weasel his way in. And he had, he had influenced Eliashib to get rid of the things of God, move those things out. They're not important. What I have is important. And he gets a storeroom inside the temple. And so Nehemiah comes back, he figures this out. Now go back to chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Verse we have in verse 8, And it grieved me bitterly. Why? What does this mean? We're going to see in a moment, you know what happened as a result, as part of this? The people of God stopped giving to the things of God. I may be overstating this. You know why? One of the reasons I believe this happened is because the leadership had devalued what was important by, the, by saying, we're moving these things out, put whatever you want in there, the storehouse isn't important. Now, some may say, well, maybe they weren't giving much and it was just sitting there empty. And he's, whatever, no matter what happened, leadership had devalued the importance of the things of God. And so here it is, Nehemiah shows up and he sees this and his first reaction is it grieved. He wept, he was broken. I just wonder, church, how many folks we have in a church house that show up that see the drift, that see the struggle, see that maybe, maybe in these churches that we're not holding to the Word of God, we're not holding to the things of God. We think about that baptisms have been dry. We think about we've not seen individuals say. We think about that VBS isn't what it used once was. We don't see children's come to faith in Christ. We don't see man, the activity of God the way that we once did. Man, dear friend, I wonder when's the last time you grieved and you wept bitterly. I'm not talking about weeping because we didn't sing hymn 333, Amazing Grace, six times a day. But I'm talking about that we're grieved because we don't see lives changed and families restored. We don't see a community changed for the sake of the gospel. And here's Nehemiah. He shows back up. And the first thing it says about him, he says, it grieved me bitterly. 
on our way to church, we drive by. Days on your vacation, we drive by churches and parking lots are empty. Just recent weeks, hearing a couple of men of God disqualified from the ministry had to leave their church. I was asked this week, Pastor Chris, do you think Jesus is coming soon? And here was part of my reply. I don't necessarily think that because I think a lot of times we, we tend to think that he is coming soon because we think about America. And we think it's so much wrapped up in being, and listen, I'm proudly an American. I think we still live in the greatest country in the world. But I think this country is grossly far from God. And I just wonder, when's the last time we wept over it? When's the last time we've been broken? Over the things of God. Friend, can I just tell you, we're part of this, part of, of, of leading up in the next several weeks. April 2nd, we begin. Um, if the Lord should tarry. And listen, let me say this. Jesus said during his ministry he didn't even know the time or the place or the hour. <laughs> I know this. I don't believe there's anything in the Bible that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to return today. I think all has been... Uh, so if the Lord re returns tonight, I wouldn't be shocked. But I'll say this, friend. Should the Lord tarry April 2nd, we're going to begin a revival meeting. As Brother Ronnie Tullis comes and preaches during that week. Let me share with you a couple things. First of all, no man has revival in a suitcase and brings it and just opens it up. As much as I love Brother Ronnie Tullis, he's a low-down, dirty, rotten, stinking sinner saved by grace, just like me. Okay? And if he was here, I'd say that to him, Okay? He tells me about that and tells me that about every other time I talk to him on the phone, okay? About me. He, he can't come and op break open revival. He can't come and suddenly make us realign. That's the work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But friend, can I tell you this? Revival, I, I call it a revival meeting. Because the hopes is that we are praying that God would meet with us in any way. And that maybe, just maybe, God may begin a, an incredible work that brings about revival. Revival is God's people getting back right with Him. It is God's people realigning themselves back to the book. That's what revival is. And when that happens, you know what happens? It grieved me bitterly. 
It did not grieve Nehemiah that, that uh, Elisha had just aligned with a guy that had been talking trash to him. He was playing for the other team. But rather, it grieved Nehemiah that they had gotten back in bed with people that they had no business being with. And Tobiah was an enemy. The, Tobiah did not care about Elisha. Tobiah cared about thwarting the plans of God, thwarting the things of God. That's what Tobiah cared about. And here they are. They had gotten away from the things of God and the Word of God. And so here it is. Now they've given out this storeroom. And man, it began to infiltrate the people and infected and affected everything that was going on. And so he goes on. It grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. It was his storage building. It was a storage building for Tobiah. And he goes on, then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. <laughs> you know, it makes me appreciate this about Nehemiah is it seems like um, Nehemiah not only makes them clean the room to try to sanctify the room that Tobiah had used, but it seems like maybe he did the connecting rooms as well. <laughs> Going, hey, because it says that I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. It only says he's given him one room, but it, I think Nehemiah is making doubly sure we got to get this thing right. We got to get this thing back in order. This is not for somebody just any, it, it wasn't even for a Levite to be a specific storehouse. This was for the things of God. And they had gotten rid of those things and allowed Nehemiah to move his appliances in just to stay, uh, uh, be a part of extra storage. And so they move it out, and Nehemiah says, this has to be cleansed and set apart for the Lord. And friend, this is what I'll tell you. I realize we don't have storerooms at our house or here that go, oh, man, this is where um, it, it's different. But friend, we let a lot of things that are to be set apart in our life for the Lord, for the enemy to crowd in. And try to take up part of that. One of those is our Sunday worship. Live in a culture in a day and time of going, man, we've all got to have calendars. We've all got to take it in because we have to fill every minute of every day. We have to find activity every part of every day. And we don't protect some parts of going, hey, this is really important. We have times and places of going, yeah, I'll be at church as long as they don't have a ball game that interferes with this. I'll be there as long as we don't have uh, some trip or some activity that crouches in and takes up part of that time. Dear friend, I would just say to you, what would happen if we, we were really committed and going, hey, I'll be at the ball game if it doesn't interfere with church. I'll be at that activity if it doesn't take away from my time with the Lord. I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be there and we'll be a part of that if it doesn't take away from this thing. And now listen, I, I'm not opposed to vacations. I'm not opposed to our children being a part of activities. I'm just telling you, friend, that if we're not careful, a drift will happen and we'll allow the enemy to press into some areas and to some things that are set apart for the Lord and the Lord only. And that's what happened with Elisha. And, as a, and he was a priest. He, he was supposed to know better. 
and allowed Tobiah to creep in. John 8, 44 says, You are the father of the devil. He's criticizing the, the Pharisees and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is, the, is a liar and the father of it. Why is the enemy so good at what he does? Because he's the enemy of disguise and deceit. If everything the enemy did was totally obvious, he wouldn't be very good. And although I don't want to be careful here, I don't want to give him more credit than what he's due, but friend, I'm telling you, he is the father of lies, meaning he's really good at it. He's really good at deceiving us. He's really good at being subtle and, and, and allowing us and directing us and giving us room and space to just get off course. Get us distracted. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you think as a believer that you're not on the enemy's radar, you have lied to yourself. Number three, realignment prioritizes giving to the things of God. So the Word of God helps us to realign. In that realignment, we realize I can't drive this thing into the ditch. That's that's where the enemy wants me to go. The enemy wants me to get off center, wants me to get out out of step with the Lord and the things of God. And then finally we come to this, and this is part of the text, and I realize I've talked a lot about giving in, in, in the last several weeks, but that's just what the text calls us to. It's what it, it prioritizes here. So here we have the priority of giving to the things of God. So let's go back to uh, verse 10. Also realize that the portions of, uh, for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So what's happened here? Remember, Tobiah took the storehouse. He took the storeroom. And and there's nothing there. There's nothing. And so it's this combination of maybe he cleaned, maybe he gave him that because people weren't giving. And so there's the, uh, here's an empty room, use it, it's not being used. Or maybe they had scooted aside and slowly slowly took place and go, man, it doesn't seem to be important to them, so why is it important to me? And what happens is the Levites have to go get a second job. They have to go work. Uh, in, in a way to provide for their family because people weren't giving uh, the way that they had called them to. So here it is, verse 11. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Um, so he gets the Levites, brings them back, puts everybody back where they're supposed to be. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I pointed a treasure over the storehouse. Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah, and next to them was Hannah, the son of Zechur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful. So not everybody, not the whole group had gotten far from the things of God. But there certainly was a majority that had drifted away, that needed to be realigned. And so Nehemiah puts some individuals in positions of leadership. He says, for they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to the brethren. And so what happens? 
Levites had gone back and they're working. Now listen, the, the Levites were on a rotating serving basis. There was a short period of time in which they were to uh, serve and then they were released from that and there was this sort of rotation. Um, that, that was the way things were originally planted and put in place and all that kind of thing. But undoubtedly, they had gotten to a place where they had to go, they had to go work for themselves, had to go try to provide for themselves. And the children of Israel were not giving to the Lord the way that God had called them to. They hadn't done it. And so Nehemiah brings them back, puts everybody in place, creates some leadership, a little bit of some accountability. And what do the children of Israel do? They go, hey, this is important. And they get back to giving to the Lord. And dear friend, this is what I'll challenge you to think about. Our finances don't reveal everything about us. But they do reveal quite a bit. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. Uh, Luke 12, 32-34 says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags what, uh, which do not grow old. A treasure in, he in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. But Jesus said it this way. Listen to this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Old Testament, Malachi challenges us and that challenges the children of Israel and in Malachi 3.10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And listen to what he says, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. Now listen, you know my heart on this. I'm not a naming and claiming, blabbing and grabbing, all prosperity, all that kind of thing. But I wholeheartedly believe this, that you can't outgive the Lord and that God blesses faithfulness in giving. And friend, I just want to challenge you this way. Take a step of faithfulness in this area. No matter where you're at in this giving, and maybe say this year and the days ahead, man, I'm going to just increase 1%. I'm, I'm going to establish a pattern of regular giving. I, I get to make it a goal to get to 10%. Dear friend, I, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, and you can go back and listen to that message where um, I realized that in New Testament we don't have a lot of specific directions in terms of tithing, but my challenge to you is this, that Old Testament under Old, Old Covenant, looking forward to the cross, believed and knew there was a pattern of giving of tenth, uh, uh, one-tenth of everything unto the Lord. How much more for us who are New Testament believers looking back to the cross under the grace and mercy of God ought to be abundant in our giving. And I know it. I realize, I feel that some of you are sick of me talking about giving at this point. I, I understand, but it's what the Word of God right here. This is what happens to the children of Israel. They had drifted away from the Lord. They read the Word of God, and Nehemiah is helping them to get back right. And one of the areas that they needed to correct was their giving. Let me just share with you one way. That may help you. And this isn't for everybody. And that's just fine. 
As long as the Lord tarries, we'll continue to have a, a pink envelope. You'll continue to have a chance to give through cash or check envelope or whatever it is. But friend, I know some of you, it may help you that we have a digital giving option. You can give through eCheck. You can get on there and have it and once a week, every two weeks, once a month, however it is you get paid, just like other things in your life, to be able to come out and, and, and be consistent in that giving. And again, I realize that's not for everybody, and that is not the only method in which you can give. But I'm just reminding you that is an option. If you want more information about that, uh, call sometime during the week and catch Sherry in the office and, and be able to visit with her um, and help you walk through that and establish that if you need help. But dear friend, I'll say this. Be faithful in your giving. Walk clean and close to the Lord Jesus. Have you drifted? Have you gotten away from the things of God, the way that He's called you to? If you have, take a step toward Him today. Acknowledge it. Yo, God, He knows. It's no surprise to Him. But be, be conscious. Go, man, God, I, I, man, I'm not as passionate. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not talking to, man, whatever it may be, just confess that to the Lord and go, God, I know you're gracious and merciful. Would you forgive me and help me get back right? Some of you maybe don't know Christ. You need to repent and believe on Him. You need to be saved. Dear friend, I'm begging you, today is the day of salvation. Give your heart and life to Him. Surrender to Him. However it is the Lord's called you, be obedient to Him. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, we love and adore You. We thank You for Your goodness and grace. I pray, God, that all that we say and do would bring honor and glory to Your name. Pray if there's somebody here who's lost and doesn't know you, God, I pray you'd save them. Give them grace to call out on you for salvation. God, I pray that you'd help us to be realigned with you and with your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. You remain attitude of prayer. God's dealt with your heart about something this morning. You want to come and pray, you come and pray. You want somebody to pray with you? I'd love to pray with you. But as we begin to sing this morning, you just focus on the Lord and you focus on some realignment in your life. Whatever that may mean for you. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. Whatever the case is, that's fine. You just take the next few moments and really focus on Him and your relationship with Him. You need somebody to pray with you. You come. You can talk about salvation. You come. Baptism, church membership. You come. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling Calling for you and for me
remain in the attitude of prayer. head, close your eyes for a moment. I'm not dragging out anything today, uh, but the Lord's working and doing some things. And so uh, I'll take a moment and, and pray for your neighbor, but it may be the Lord's been dealing with your heart. You want to come and you want somebody to pray with you, or you, you just want to come up front and kneel. Maybe you want to come and pray for our church that God would bring about some realignment. That God would do some things. That God would bring revival. I just wonder if we'd have some folks that come and pray that God would bring revival to Second Baptist Church. Not for us, not for our glory, but for His. And so would you just take a moment and pray? And maybe someone would come get on this altar and weep and beg God to bring about revival. God's dim in the heart, you come. If you want to come, join others at the front and pray. You come now. Let's pray and ask God to do what only He can. you're good God I cry out with the psalmist how long O oh Lord how long until you revive us again God we need a fresh touch from you God I believe with all my heart there's some folks you dealt with today and man some responded some responded in ways that we know and some responded in ways that we have no idea about but God, I, I pray today for those that you're wanting to work in. That God, you've challenged, you've convicted. That God, that have turned a blind eye to it. That have seared their conscience toward that That just have, have refused to respond to that. God, I pray you give them grace. God, minister to them. I pray conviction would be strong. The Spirit would be strong in their life. God, whether it's a public display of that or not, that, that's between you and them. But God, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place not having dealt with some things that you're dealing with us about. God, we ask for revival for your name's sake and for your glory. Not unto us, O oh Lord, not unto us, but unto your name. Be the glory and honor. Lord, thank you for today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. I'm going to ask some of our men if they begin to take their place to... Um, help take up the offering and so we're going to in just a moment we're going to pray and ask the lord to bless the offering 
Um, please be praying about revival. And let me tell you one thing I, I forgot to mention during our announcement time. Um, in two weeks from Tuesday, um, I believe the, the 21st, I'm going to be hosting a group of pastors from really all over. Um, and just, it's going to be a, a lunch, uh, provide lunch for them, a time for us to sit down together, have a meal together, and a time to talk about ministry. Some of you, I've been calling it Pastors Fellowship. Some of you remember, we've done a couple of these. It, it's been a while.